Welcome to the ACC Now podcast. I'm News and Observer sports columnist Luke DeCock. Thrilled to be joined by the ACC's Senior Executive Deputy Commissioner for Basketball, Paul Brazzo. Most famous, I think, for coaching Vin Baker at Hartford. Is that accurate? Luke, it's great to be with you, but if you want that to be my life highlight, I'm okay with it, you know? I'm really most famous for being dad to Michael, Andrew, and Mia, I hope. <laughs> yes, yes. Family man, Greensboro resident, temporarily. Well, maybe not. May, maybe permanently. By the, time this, by the time this podcast airs, the ACC may have made a decision about its headquarters. <laughs> Who knows? We may have to sit on it for seven months, but uh, no, thank you, Paul. Um, obviously... Being in charge of ACC basketball, and I say in charge, but, you know, overseeing it, um, is a huge responsibility in the conference where basketball matters more than any other. But you came from outside the ACC. You came from the NBA. You've been a Northeastern guy predominantly. So I'm curious if we go back to your perception of the ACC before you had skin in the game, what did you see then, and then how has that changed? Well, that's a great question, Luke, and we'll go back to where my college days and early coaching days that uh, uh, was the formation of the Big East. I went to Boston College, as you know, and, uh, and I believe my, my probably my sophomore, junior year, the league formed. Coach Gabbitt started the league. We had, a, you know, so those early Big East tournaments were was in school. And then, then I coached initially at Boston College for five years with Gary Williams and and we were Big East, and it was the development process of the Big East, so I had great appreciation for that. At the same time, you know, we, we knew what the ACC was all about, and we followed, followed them, and I'm sure at those early Big East days, they they longed and hoped to become what the ACC basketball was. We all, you know, the, the tournament documentary that was on during, during February was just tremendous, and, and I really enjoyed it because there were parts that uh, I really didn't know, but as an outsider living in the New England area, you, you paid attention to it. So uh, I take the responsibilities I have seriously. I know it's a it's a diamond, and I want to keep polishing it, uh, whatever my staff and I can do to, to make it a great product, continue it to be a great product. Uh, we want to, want to do that. Um, one of the reasons the ACC has been good over the years has been the coaches. You're entering a transitional phase now. I mean, your meetings have been dominated for years by these giant personalities, Mike Krzyzewski, Roy Williams. Someday in the indefinite future, 30, 40 years from now, Jim Beheim will retire. How does losing some of those guys, Leonard will retire at some point too. I mean, there's going to be more turnover, but the two big ones have changed. How does that change your role? Do you have to take a more active role in steering some of this stuff because you've lost these titans? It's... It that's, it falls to new guys. It falls to others. And, and I was really, uh, Luke, I think you were down in, in when we were having our meetings. Uh, people stepped up. You know, the Jim Laranagas and, and Mike Braze and the Tony Venice. They've been in this a long time. Tony's won a national championship. Uh, really uh, solid thinking. The room was different because Coach K and, and, and Coach Williams were just, you know, such giants, Hall of Famers. Um, so it was, it was healthy. Mike Young is a, you know, a, not not a newbie to the coaching profession. So they all bring really good perspectives. I thought it was a really great conversation. There's new folks in the room. Uh, Earl Grant, uh, you know, Kenny Payne are new in the room. You got a few, you know, really Hubert is new to the meetings, new yeah. to the room. 
uh, John Shire uh, was, you know, part of it. So they're they're new in the room, uh, yet you see it evolve. Uh, Jeff Capel was new a couple years ago, but now he's vocal. So it's it's really good. And I think, you know, it, it goes in cycles. Uh, you know, Tony's on his way to a, a Hall of Fame career. Coach Beheim's already in the Hall of Fame. So there's there's a lot of good here. Our coaches care. Our coaches really care. And Josh Pastor brings such great passion. You know, it's by far the best podcast we've done <laughs> was with Josh Pastner in the ACC, whatever it is, uh, relaxation area in Brooklyn, your lounge, right, right, right. the conference leadership lounge, and him just rambling on. Like, yeah. I think I asked one question. That's all you have to do with Josh. And he's, but he loves it. I mean, he thinks about this stuff all day. He's passionate about it. He really, you know, loves Georgia Tech, loves the conference, and you can you can never have too many Josh Pastners. I think you probably two Josh Pastners is too many to be honest. Well, with you. you know, one is he doesn't have to follow up his his voice messages with a text immediately. I'll get right back to you, Josh. <laughs> what, well, what's I mean, what's that like? I mean, when coaches have a concern with the officiating, with the scheduling, with weather cancellations, with anything, you're the primary point of contact contact for every single. I'm sure there are plenty of compliments. Every single complaint that coaches have, is it politics? You know, are you a diplomat or do you, as a former coach, can you tell them straight up you're wrong? Well, I don't try to tell them necessarily that they're wrong. I just try to explain to them the why, the why behind it. I mean, listen, where, where you stand on an issue depends on where you sit. And everyone sees it through their lens. They, they just do. And that's, and that's no surprise there. So, you know, when a schedule comes out, 14 other schools will have a better schedule than me. That's that's how it's going to be. Uh, you know, they're going to have easier travel. We're going to have this, that, you know, whatever it is. But we get it. We get it. Um, building a schedule is difficult. It's, we don't just throw stuff on a wall and see what sticks. I mean, you're trying to make it um, as equally unfair for everybody as possible. You know, if you do it. But it, it's... It's a challenge. We've got odd number of teams and odd numbers do weird things to your schedule. And you're trying to make everybody, you know, everybody's going to have 10 at home and 10 on the road. You'd like to play everywhere the same number of weekend games as weekday games. But it just can't happen because of the odd number situation. I remember one day at Cameron when you were sitting on press row and uh, I can't remember the specific game. I'm sure you do. Syracuse. The Syracuse game, yes. And Kay stopped on his way off the court to convey to you his displeasure with the way the game was officiated he, at the end. That, that's incorrect. It was a good observation by you, but it was incorrect. He was actually inviting me to the Iron Dukes uh, reception post game. I believe the varsity, and, the uh, legacy. Yeah, legacy he just pump. wanted to see if I needed a ride or I, I was all set to go. No, coach just asked you know, to review the play. He wanted yeah. to review the play. I recall it was a loose ball down in front of the Duke bench, yeah, yeah. and you know it was bang bang play. Went out of bounds, I believe Syracuse possession, and then they went on to to win the game. Uh, so you know he just asked me, "Can you review those plays?" You know, and then I did because I had my uh, my uh, iPad I think with me. We looked at, it and I went in officials' locker room because we had the bigger screen and just took a look, and then talked with with Coach Gay and his staff after about what we saw. So yeah. But, you know, I'll, I'll miss those guys. Hey, listen, Roy was around a lot this year. Hubert just did a great job. Great, great sounding board. You know, I, I can ask, I, I reach out to Roy now, and he can offer a different perspective because he's not sitting right there on the bench. And Coach K will, will be the same way there. 
it, you know, it's a great conference. When you, the, the coaches we've had, the, the guys that are current, the camaraderie is pretty good. Um, and I'm interested to see. What, what I'm most excited about, Luke, this year is I think we've got some roster stability. Yeah. From, from that we didn't quite have last year. We had so many young players and transfer portal players, and, you know, but uh, – but I think we've got a lot, excuse me, really good roster stability this year that, you know, I, I think we've got some really good teams. Uh, and, you know, another coach that we, we didn't mention is I think he's brought great uh, insight into the room is Steve Forbes. Yeah. Because he's come a different way. You know, he's yeah. been in the junior college ranks. So he's a head coach. He's, he's come a different way. And that's just great perspectives in the room. Yeah, he was another great podcast, a Southern Arkansas mule rider. There you go. They were playing baseball player too. Baseball player. They were playing in the D two championships in Cary, and I tried to see if he was going to be out there. I really wanted to watch a mule rider game. Yeah, he was ringing the bell, wasn't he, or the horn and the siren at the uh, Hurricanes? I, yes, he's also. I think he's like the Vanderbilt whistler too. <laughs> he goes to. Um, what was what was the final? All right, let me backtrack for a second. You mentioned roster continuity. We saw that a little bit at the end of last season, which sort of springboarded not just like Virginia Tech to an ACC title, but Miami, and two teams in the Final Four. Did you honestly, in December, honestly, think it was possible for you guys to have the postseason that you ended up having, which was obviously great on a number of levels? I don't know that I assessed it like that, Luke. You know, you're just, you're just trying to watch <clears throat> teams build and grow. And then and then you had Florida State, who I thought, wow, they're really good. And then they get everybody injured. Yeah, they're hammered, they just, yeah. You know, so, so you go from a team that was, uh, you know, a top 10 level team was first place in our conference and you know at the, at the top of the uh, uh the rankings within the league to boom you know and they lose their guys so i don't know that i stopped and like assessed it in a in a, in a snapshot you know kind of looking at the at the motion picture more um and then teams just did get better look, look we know the carolina story they just kept getting better from about mid-february they had what they would have turned a you know bad home loss to pittsburgh and from that point on, they kind of, whether it was yeah. buying in or understanding, and and then they, they had a great, great run, you know, and, and, and we're fortunate. They they were resilient. The Baylor game and the, the second team, the second game in the NCAA tournament, they had the big lead at Baylor. Yeah. When Brady, you know, uh, had the flagrant two, and then they lost the lead. And I said, there's no, you know. There's, there's no way they're winning this game. Not in the overtime. When we went to overtime, I said, you know, darn, you know. But, boy, they – Toughed it out, made plays. Got to make shots. And yeah. They had guys who could make shots. And I, it's crazy, you know, you as a former coach know this. You you lose a player like Dawson Garcia who was starting for you, and that hurts from a talent perspective, but it let everybody, including Manic, slot into the roles that they were clearly destined to be in. And so that one little tweak, which seems like a negative, turns into a positive. Yeah, and it's crazy. Really crazy. You know, you, you next man up kind of thing. We've all heard that from a lot of teams, next man up. But but they really did a good job. And, you know, and now this year, the expectations for those, you know, for the Tar Heels is going to be through the roof. And for the players, you know, and Hubert knows this, and he'll be, he'll be preaching all the time. You don't start in the Final Four. you got to get back there. you got to earn it all the way back. And that that's – but it – yeah, I can't wait till we get started, really. All right, tell I, you, and I know this because I see you on the road, you make a practice of getting to as many of the ACC's NCAA tournament games as possible. What was your travel schedule through the through the Final Four this year? Well, it ended up um, good and bad. Good, 
we didn't have a lot of teams in, which, you know, it presents different challenges when we do. Uh, but I, I got to see everybody with the exception of Miami. Uh, and, and it was just the way it was going to rotate. I was going to, you know, with Jim Phillips was with me out there as well. So he was able to, and he went to Chicago. His family was there. And, you know, he, he took uh, the Miami piece. But, uh, yeah, it's fun in a lot of ways. I love games. You know, you love going to games and, and going back and forth. But, yeah, we went. We started in Dayton uh, with Notre Dame in the, in the first four, and then and Carolina in Fort Worth, and Notre Dame in San Diego. I came back from Carolina, forth, back and forth there, and then did the same the following week with with Duke and Carolina, uh, back and forth. The Philly San Fran route was was. Uh, it's just amazing that the airlines and the flight times all worked out just perfect for you and you and me both. Yes, yes. So I, I still I still don't believe you were on my flight from San Francisco to Philadelphia because I I. But you're up in first class, Luke. You don't see us people in the back there. So, I wish but I, we were there. I wasn't. I wasn't in exit row. I think <laughs> I was not in first class. You were in economy plus or whatever. Don't sell yourself short. Listen, some, because I didn't, I couldn't purchase the tickets. You know, too far ahead. I ended up with some middles on those long, long, long flights. So I, got, I got so lucky. I we were in Greenville, and I bought a refundable ticket to San Francisco. It was like two hundred dollars more expensive. But I told my boss, like, look, yeah. This this will work for us, and then when I switched it to go to Philly instead of Raleigh to catch up with Carolina, we actually got the two hundred dollars back because the fare was cheaper. So I made the company money. Paul. You are. I want that on this podcast. You are on it, man. You are on. It. They should they should give you a raise actually for, for think, just being a team player. Like I think that. so. Yeah. I, I but I going San Francisco Philly and then Bridgeport to pick up NC yes. State planes, trains, and automobiles. Yes. I really did feel like it was a Paul Brazo NCA tournament weekend. Well, and you recall a couple of years. We, were, we had three teams in Omaha. We were all out in Omaha together, and that, that uh, proved to be a, a fun time because we because as you get to the regionals, you're only, it's two games to one game, you get a little bit more time. And I think uh, I recall the year that Carolina beat Kentucky uh, to go to the Final Four when Luke May made a shot. It was in Memphis, Memphis. and we got the, uh, you know, the our, our attraction that trip was to visit the Bass Pro Shop in the Pyramid. In the Pyramid. <laughs> Did you ever coach a game against Memphis in the Pyramid? Nah, I don't. Or part of a game there nah, when it was actually a basketball arena. I don't arena. think. We, I'm trying to remember if I'd been in the Pyramid when it was an arena basketball. I think I was once, but it might have been an NCAA tournament game yeah. at some point. Underrated town, Omaha, just for the record. That's right. Omaha Lounge the is Omaha still Lounge. one of the, the best places on the tour. One of the great NCAA tournament experiences. Uh, what was the Final Four like for you with two teams? I know Jim had to switch ties and sides of the court at halftime, but I know it's like watching your your siblings fight or your children fight, but what was that experience it, like? It was tremendously uh, fulfilling. We were proud to have two two members there. Uh, then when they had to play each other, it was, it was really hard. It was really hard, you know, because there was so much to the whole Duke, Coach K last year, the Carolina had won the game in Cameron the last. So there was so much to it, but Carolina was on such a roll. Duke was on such a roll. And the game played, the game lived up. It, it came down to that last minute or so. You know, we're, it's an either either game. So yeah, Jim and I did we flip sides at halftime, just you know, and it's 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 corny, but you know, we cared for both teams and and uh, 
you know, I just darn if the bracket had been different, I mean, they could have met in the finals. It would have I don't know. Yeah, the world would really have ended. It was apocalyptic enough yes. as it was. Yes. I was just, it was too big. Yeah. You're just sitting there watching that wow. game, and if it had been a blowout, maybe it's different. Or even if if Duke had won, and it hadn't been the end of K, and they got revenge, all that, I think it would have been easier to process than Carolina basically ending the rivalry as we know it once and for all. I mean, it was just a, it was it was crazy. The, the role that Carolina got on, I think people forget with Duke, and you know because you saw some of these games, that going into Greenville, coming out of the ACC tournament, there were a lot of questions about Duke, and to watch that team rally really against Michigan State. It was the end of the Michigan State game. And then put that into practice against Arkansas, uh, you know, and, and go through that whole sort of development and Kay in San Francisco talking about his time at the Presidio. Yeah, and then uh, I think Texas Tech was the game before, yeah, right? Texas, and, and two complete yeah, polar opposites really. of teams. And, you know, listen, let's get Virginia Tech made – uh, in the cha our championship game, Virginia Tech made Duke look vulnerable that night. Sure Virginia did. Tech played great. Mike and his kids, they were great. And you're right. When So when Duke leaves Brooklyn, you're saying, well, they're good. Can they? But they really did a great job. And I mean, you know, as you would expect, Coach has done it for years. And they went into Greenville's focus and got back on track. And That's crazy. You know, that. And then and Miami winning down there in Greenville, oh. beat, beat you know, Auburn was ranked number one in the country a number of weeks. Absolutely. And Miami did a great job. So, listen, if we can build on that, uh, I think there were, again, what we talked about earlier about the roster stability, it's really great. And I think we've got an opportunity this year to maybe see, you know, ACC basketball like we all yeah. think it should be. Has it been a tough couple years watching? Because the, the basically since, since the Zion year, the perception has been in 2020, 2021, 22 that the league was down, at least until the 2022 postseason. You guys obviously look at it differently than, you know, the sort of college basketball cognoscenti that thinks they know everything, myself included. There you go. Did you – did, that, did that frustrate you, or can you be a realist and say, hey, look, our teams maybe didn't perform at times that they we expect them to? Right. Well, you know, we're coming off 19 when Virginia wins the national championship. In 20, when we the COVID year, when the tournament gets closed out, wiped out, uh, you know, we had some, I think, some pretty good teams in 20. Florida State being, yeah, being Florida a team State that looked like it had that Final Four kind of thing. So, but we don't have it that year. So now we're looking at 21. A mess of the season. And it was a mess. The season was a mess. We're, we're, you're playing the NCAA tournament in a bubble. There's no fans. It's weird. You know, Virginia gets the has to get to Bloomington after being on pause for a week because of the COVID protocol. Duke gets wiped out completely. Duke's out. And it was just, you, I think we, you know, fairly can say, sometimes the narrative on your conference gets written early in November. And if you're putting a team together, you're building your roster, you're getting to know your team, and you have a lot of new players, you, you can stumble early. Now you can get good, but the narrative's already stuck out there. So, you know, maybe we haven't been that far off, uh, you know. Well, and we'll you, you didn't get the opportunity for redemption in 20 that you had this year. Correct. I mean, if you get two teams in the Final Four in 20, then the narrative does change. Right. So, which is the crazy thing about college basketball is we spend five months judging teams based on what they did in the Champions Classic, and then the next 50 years judging them on what they did in six games in March and April. There you go. So There you go. That's funny. Um, ACC tournaments. 
what it obviously this is a decision that rests with the president and the commissioner you advise your opinion should be valued whether it is or not i don't know but it should be where do you see the tournament going in the future i don't mean specifically yeah. you have to tell me which years we're going where the 15 million dollars from the state aside is there still a place for greensboro would you go back to brooklyn would you cut that deal with the atlantic 10 to go back to brooklyn would you try to get in the garden? What would you do if you had carte blanche? Yeah, if it was, so I like, I truly do like sort of the cities that have been in the rotation. Uh, you know, there could be one that comes out, one that goes in, you know, but, but I, I do like the, the, uh, the rotation a little bit. Um, the Brooklyn, for instance, you say cut a deal to A10. We don't have to do that any, anymore, okay. there, you know, so that, that's open. So there. what, so the A10 does not have a deal exclusively yeah, with Brooklyn? Yeah, but, but we're not looking to get in the years that they're in, you know, you would, oh, you would, you you would can, set the rotation. You can, okay, right? so you, you can, can dodge you know, and weave. Right, and there, but there's other markets that are real interested that, that would really like it. Now, it makes different things, but like Pittsburgh really would love to host Would it. you? Can they? Will they put a bid in? I think Pittsburgh is my favorite city that has not hosted. Yeah, you know when the NCAA tournament's been there a couple of times. Yeah, recently. I love it. Boston is hosting the NCAA tournament, I believe, this year, and they've been terrific for the NCAA tournament. We've never gone there, right? You know, and it's it's. Uh, I think those two markets in particular that to have this gem every now and then would 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 come out. I know it's a little further travel for some traditional fan base, a little further, but. Two pretty good cities to go to. I mean, I think, and the difference for me between Pittsburgh and Brooklyn is when the ACC tournament is in Pittsburgh, you will know, you will know. It's, it's the hotels are all downtown, the arena's downtown, everybody's together, and it's, as Craig Meyer once said, it's the best city in the world to get drunk for $20. There you go. It's and like, it's, it'll be like an NCAA tournament where you know it's in town there. Yes. Because they're, they're not every year. And they care. They would care very yes. deeply. You know, and, and you know, I, I know your feelings in New York. It, it, it's it's a big, it's a big, you're you're in a big big pond. Yeah, you know that. So, no, yeah, but, but I also get why the yeah, other. We have some other reasons that makes it very good for us. Because uh, because uh, who is is attending is as important as how many are attending. No, I know. It's just it, it's frustrating when we're in Brooklyn in part because. Syracuse and Duke are supposed to have huge fan bases, and they play a noon game, and there's nobody in the building. Yeah. And, and that, you know, you, you don't you, you don't even catch a break on a Syracuse Duke game being seven o'clock. Yeah, you know, or maybe got a, a chance for a better turnout. But, you know, it's noon, and noon. You know, but you know what? A noon game in Charlotte is going to be full, mm -hmm. and maybe not Syracuse Duke, but Duke and Virginia at noon in Charlotte is going to be yes. So that's that's the but um any chance of Tampa? The media love Tampa. But no one else seemed to love Tampa. But that building has changed. The area around the arena has changed. That strikes me as a place. I'd, I'd rather go there than, like, Orlando. Yeah, I think the, the Tampas and the Atlantas, the, the, you know, we talked about Boston and Pittsburgh, yeah. kind of northern side. So, yes, Tampa, Atlanta, people, are, they've expressed interest. Um, it's, you know, I, I looked carefully at the, the SEC was in Tampa this, mm -hmm. this past year. And, you know, took a look at the metrics from there. Uh, so I think, you know, and again, it'll be a – all-encompassing situation, you know, from hotels to to availability of arena to just the whole thing together. I mean, it's, it's not one little piece. Um, you know, the, the state of North Carolina has made a terrific uh, offer to the ACC in ways, and so that has some commitments to it if, if we should be here in North Carolina. So, 
I think, you know, we're, we're booked this year and next year. We're in Greensboro here in 23 for the 70th ACC tournament. That's that's really great that we're there. And then we go to Washington because that was a replacement oh, yeah, for the year. And then starting in 25, we'll be open, setting a new course. Open yeah. for business. And I will take this opportunity because I would be remiss to pass it up on my glorious plan to celebrate the 75th anniversary of the ACC tournament by playing the Tuesday games at Reynolds Coliseum. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a um, other than the attendant, the, the, the ticketing situation now, it's not the old Reynolds where you had twice, no, you yeah, know, but yeah. you'd have to take some looks at that. And then do you then go to, to PNC? I think some people then got to get through that. That's the state's home court. court. Right. So, but, it's, you know, everything can be on the table for it, I, and that would be in uh, 27, I think, right? Yeah. So, I, 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 It's my pet project, obviously, but I think at a time, as we've talked about a lot today, when we're trying to figure out if college athletics still has a soul, acknowledging something that happened 75 years ago yep. would, be, would be cool. I don't need to pitch you on that. Um, let's wrap up. I want your best, your best for public consumption, Gary Williams story. My best go, oh my God. You know, Gary and I have been friends now for, God, you know, 40 years, it feels. Probably is. Probably is 40 years. Yeah. And uh, um, this, he was uh, my mentor. He got me into this business, and, and I appreciate him to know him. Um, we, we just, God, you know, the, the Gary Williams you see in the games and the Gary Williams outside the game are like two different people. It's tremendous. Uh, you know, in the games, he's just totally, totally focused. He was so consumed by it and totally, like, tremendous focus. So if you were an assistant, someday you were a, a knucklehead. Someday you, you could you could bring in uh, things to offer. Uh, but off, off the court, it was, it was just just great. So I, you, you caught me on that for my, my favorite Gary story, but... Uh, we just we had a, a lot of really great runs, a lot of really great games, and uh, a lot of fun. We, our, the the former players, when I run into them now that played during the game, you know, it's just there's a bond there. And, and Gary wasn't always easy to play for, not because sure. he was a demanding coach, uh, but the kids would be great. So that that binds us all together. Did you run the flex at Hartford? Uh, not quite as tight as like an Al Skinner when he ran it, but we ran parts of the flex. But I'm running more motion. Yeah. Three out, two in, little four out, one in motion. And, but I did run a lot of zone offense that, that Tom Davis and Gary yeah. Williams had taught me. Was at that point in his career, at sort of the beginning, was Gary already in the habit of turning to the bench after every play and berating the assistant coach who uh, had you know, or we complaining had the, that, to the assistant coach? That bench finger point, the yeah. bench finger was uh, was already in place. You know, when Gary was Tom Davis' assistant at, at Lafayette. Uh, part of the deal was the assistant basketball coach at Lafayette had to be the head men's soccer coach. So Gary started, his first head coaching was as, as the men's soccer coach at Lafayette. So, you know, and, 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 uh, in the soccer field, you got to really yell and get after it because, you know, yeah. it's it's a different environment. So, yeah, he was a, I think he learned early, early in his career the uh, that intensity and, and stuff. So, but, but a good man, really great guy. And I wish him the best. We talk regularly, so it's. We, we miss him in the ACC, that's for sure. Yeah, you lost two Coach Williamses here in, in a short in a amount of short time. Period, yeah. No, it was the Gary was awesome, and the like the Grievous Vasquez team was just yes. pure entertainment in every in every form. They had a, a the thirtieth, I think it was the thirtieth 
reunion this year of their national championship. Maryland did, and I happened to catch it as a Sunday game. Uh, and there was these, there were some pictures of Gary with the team, and Gary looked like he could still like he came out. He couldn't even, you know, he had that intensity, game day intensity, just being honored out there at that game. It was tremendous. Awesome. And a shout out to our our, our friend Fran O'Hanlon. When we mentioned Lafayette basketball, we can't. You can't miss Coach O. You can't miss uh, White Magic, as he was uh, <laughs> affectionately. Big Five legends. Yes, sir. Uh, all right, Paul. I, I'll save my officiating questions for a off, future one for a future off the podcast. air. Maybe maybe a future whistleblowers if we ever get off hiatus. That's right. Well, John John Clockley ran that ran that podcast, and fans are still clamoring for more John. I'm sure. Highly, very highly rated. Very highly rated. Thank you, Paul. All right, Luke. Thanks a lot.